Good afternoon, listeners, and welcome to the DOGS program. We are the DOGS, the Australian Council for the Defence of Government Schools, and we're here with you every Saturday to defend and promote public education. That's education that's public in purpose and public in outcome. It's also public in accountability. So you know exactly where your tax dollars are going into public education that welcomes all students. Now, Jean's not with us again this week, so I've had to put this program together. So please forgive me if it's not up to Jean's high, high standards, but uh, we will muddle along. We've got lots of contributions this week from Jeff, Sorrel and Andy, so let's get on with it. First, I'll pass over to Jeff, who's got an interesting article about NAPLAN results. Thanks, Dale, and this article's from The Age, and it's quite good news, actually. It's from December 15th by Sharon Groke, and it is The Public Schools Outperforming Their Private School Rivals. At Oakley South Primary School, seven-year-olds put on their own musicals. There's a room full of robots and a sustainability village houses ducks, chickens and cows tended by grade three farmers. In between all these extracurricular activities, the public school has emerged as one of Victoria's top primaries in the 2023 NAPLAN results released on Friday. The Age has analysed the results of years three and five reading, writing and numeracy and identified 15 public schools consistently outperforming their high-fee private counterparts. Each school ranked among the top 20 public schools in three or more categories tested, scoring higher than more than 100 private schools, which can charge parents thousands of dollars per year. Oakley South Primary School, along with Wheelers Hill Primary and Serple Primary, ranked among the top 20 public schools in every category analysed. When Principal Ron Cantland joined Oakley South 37 years ago, it was a tiny school of about 100 children. Today it's grown to more than 1,000 and Cantlon says it's constantly knocking back enrolments. The high achievers were Banyul Private Primary School, Bentley West Primary School, Beverly Hills Primary School, Blackburn, Brandon Park, Canterbury, Doncaster, Glendale, Kew East, Livingston, Mount View, Oakley South, Serple, Templeton and Wheelers Hill. We try to help each child find something they love, a passion, he said, but we also believe in explicitly teaching English and maths every day because we know these are so important to success in life. Former students will often keep up their vegetable gardening and return to Oakley South on work experience or sometimes as teachers. That's always special, said Cantlon. This year we had our first proper fate since COVID and it was like a huge reunion. You couldn't get a parking spot for two kilometres near the school. This place is special. The kids want to come in every day. Uh, The top ten NAP primary schools in year three were public schools, uh, Virtual School Victoria, Lower Plenty Primary, Oakley South Primary, Upway Primary, Colmbanabin Primary, Serple Primary, Canterbury Primary, Wheelers Hill Primary, Rangeview Primary School and Greensboro Primary School. The AIMGE analysis found public schools topped their private counterparts in Year 3 numeracy in particular, with 20 schools achieving a median score of 482 or higher compared to 16 in private and three Catholic schools. However, the top private schools performed particularly well in reading. 
A decade on from the landmark Gonski Review, more than 98% of public schools are still funded below the schooling resource standard it recommended, while 98% of private schools are funded above it. Government funding for private schools has grown almost twice as much as public school funding in that time. Victoria's highest performing Napland schools of 2023 were Kilster College at Springvale, Preston West, Dandenong North, Beverly Hills Primary, Oakley South Primary, Ruskin Park Primary, Wheelers Hill Primary, Serple, Templeton, Kings Park, Taylors Lakes, Strathaird, Braybrook, St Albans, Wellington Secondary, Presbyterian Ladies College, Halibury College, The Knox School, Lighthouse Christian College and Keysborough Secondary College. This month, a major report commissioned by the Federal Government called for public schools to be fully funded urgently as the achievement gap between the richest and poorest students grows and inequality becomes entrenched in the school system. Federal Minister Jason Clare, Education Minister, wants the upcoming school funding agreement to be negotiated with states next year to help fix this public school funding gap and target extra resources to things that help children who fall behind catch up, such as tutoring support. Analysis of the latest PISA results by Trevor Cobold of Save Our Schools shows that when you adjust for socioeconomic status, public schools outperform both the private and Catholic sectors, which is impressive considering they're underfunded, Cobold said. It's a credit to public school teachers. A Department of Education spokeswoman said Victorian public schools had achieved some of their best results in the latest NAPLAN, topping the nation. Independent Schools Victoria said families chose schools for more, much more than NAPLAN scores and that the test was not a measure of school quality. They are just one tool that schools use when assessing and reporting student progress, a spokesperson said. Parents are increasingly confident that independent schools, the fastest growing sector in Victoria and nationally, meet those needs. The top 10 private school primary schools for Year 5 NAPLAN math scores were Bentley West Primary School, Willers Hill Primary School, Oakley South Primary School, Glendale Primary School, Templestowe Heights Primary School, Beverly Hills Primary School, Highvale, Volk- Volkston, Strathmore North and Q East Primary School. Students sit in NAPLAN in Years 3, 5, 7 and 9 and the results and progress in the standardised test are compared against other similar students around the country. This year's test introduced new, higher benchmarks in line with international testing, removing the ability to compare students' progress from previous years. So that was a really good, good news article from The Age for a Change and we are so pleased to see that, as we have known all along, well-funded public schools will always perform at least as well or better even than the best, most expensive private schools. And with that, I'm going to pass back to you, Dale. That's fantastic news, isn't it? And now we're going to go over to Sorrel, who's got some information about some new schools opening in 2024. Over to you, Sorrel. Thanks, Dale. So we have some exciting news we are going to be having 14 new public schools opening in Victoria in 2024. And these schools have some very special names. In March of 2023, the Victorian government announced that Aboriginal language names would be the preference for new schools opening from 2025 onwards. This initiative was to further promote Aboriginal self-determination, language and culture across the state. The initiative was brought forward for the 2024 New Schools Naming Program. 
The new school names were chosen in collaboration with Geographic Names Victoria and traditional owner groups. A two-week community consultation process took place and they received over 7,000 submissions. These new schools are Barnum Warwick Primary School and these are Woi Warung words of the Wurundjeri people meaning grassy plains. Beemin Secondary College which is a Bunurong word meaning ringtail possum. Binap Primary School, which is a Woi Warung word of the Wurundjeri people meaning managam. Brin Bill Secondary College, which is a Bunurong word meaning rainbow. Dara School, which is a Woi Warung word of the Wurundjeri people meaning white hawk. Kumil'i Primary School, which is a Bunurong word meaning white cockatoo. La Yulta Primary School, which are Wudawurong words meaning many stones. Nan Bu Bori School, which is a Wudawurong words meaning children first, nurturing on your shoulder. Top Purum Primary School, which is a Bunurong word meaning star. Welcome Nawa, which are Wudawurong words meaning steps to knowledge. Wareen Primary School, which is a Bunurong word meaning wombat. Wimba Primary School, which is a Bunurong word meaning white wallaby. Yarrabing Secondary School, which is a Woi Warung word of the Wurundjeri people, meaning white gum. Yubup Primary School is a Woi Warung word of the Wurundjeri people, meaning parakeet. These names all sound fantastic. And from the dogs, I would love to wish you good wishes and good luck to all of these new public schools opening in Victoria next year. Now back to you, Dale. Thank you, Sorrel. We'll be right back after a break. Looking for an easy way to keep up with your annual 3CR subscription? You can now set up an annual debit from your bank account or credit card and once a year your payment will be automatically deducted. You can cancel at any time and you'll get a reminder each year before payment. Be a constant supporter of Melbourne's precious independent community radio station and set up a recurring payment today. Just go to 3cr.org.au forward slash subscribe. Welcome back, listeners. This is the DOGS program, the Defence of Government Schools program. And now we're going to go over to Jeff, who has an interesting article on kids being segregated by, you guessed it, dollars. Over to you, Jeff. Thanks for that. I'd just like to feature an article right now by Dominic Giannini, which appeared in the West Australian on December 12th. And it's some good news, actually. But parents' income segregates Australian school students. That's not the good news. It says, Australia's school system has been described as one of the most segregated in the developed world, with parents' pay packets determining the likelihood of success. 
Federal Education Minister Jason Clare has vowed to ensure all schools get their full and fair funding as he pledged to close the gap after a meeting with his state and territory counterparts. We have one of the most segregated school systems in the OECD, not by the colour of your skin, by the size of your parents' pay packet, he told the ABC Radio on Tuesday. Almost every government school is not funded to the Schooling Resource Standard, SRS, which is the investment needed to meet students' educational needs. Underfunding of schools, and government schools in particular, is undermining other reform efforts, an expert panel reviewing the school funding reform found. This, in turn, is impacting student education and well-being, teacher attraction and retention, and confidence in the public school system, it said. The panel recommends kids have access to community and health services and support, including occupational and speech therapists at school, and teachers be well-resourced. The report highlighted the need for a stronger focus on student well-being, improved funding and a more equitable support, save the Children's Australian Service Delivery Arm 54 Reasons said. Lower well-being is linked to lower engagement in learning and worse educational outcomes, 54 Reasons Chief Executive Matt Gardner said as he called for a meaningful commitment from governments. Schools must be given the right support to ensure every child has the best chance of reaching their full potential. But it was important to ensure students having holistic support didn't add to teacher workloads, the ministers said in a communique. An independent oversight board will be put in place to ensure national consistency and quality of teaching accreditation programs. New national guidelines to support early career teachers and amendments to accreditation standards were also ticked off by by the ministers. A national teacher workforce action plan will continue to be developed next year. Pay is important. Workload is important. There are all reasons why we've got challenges with the number of teachers in our schools at the moment, Mr Clare said. But so is respect. And if you survey teachers, you'll find that most teachers don't feel like they're respected by their local community. We need to change that. Early intervention and catch-up tutoring to ensure kids don't fall too far behind was another recommendation. The evidence showed children who were falling behind being moved from a class of 30 kids to three were able to learn in six months what they would otherwise have in a year, Mr Clare said. The education ministers agreed to work together to ensure every school was fully funded to the SRS as they continued discussions about who picked up the tab. But there would be no blank checks for schools, Mr Clare said, as he grapples with how to tie funding to improved education and wellbeing outcomes and opportunities. The next national school reform agreement outlining funding is due to be finalised next year and start in 2025. And the dogs welcomes this, at least the thoughts that they're touting, whether or not we'll actually see that or whether there's any daylight between what they say and what they do. Because we know that the federal government has the the big pot of money with which to make up the SRS and there's been a continuing squabbling between the the federal government and the states about who should pick up the tab. Let's hope that they get it right at last. That would be something. Anyway, with that, I'll pass back to you. Thanks, Jeff. Yes, it's very disturbing to see that in this so-called classless society, just how much class is being entrenched in these pockets of privilege and pockets of poverty. But now I'll pass over to Andy, who has some information from the AEU on the NSRA discussions that are happening as we speak. Over to you, Andy. AEU Every Child NSRA Info. Every Child, Every Opportunity to Succeed, Fully Fund Public Schools Campaign. 
The future funding of every public school in Australia is being decided by the politicians in the next 12 months. Full funding of public schools is the best investment we could make for our future. 98% of public schools are resourced below the Schooling Resource Standard, SRS. Understaffing and excessive workloads for teachers are leading to higher attrition rates and growing shortages. When it comes to inequity in access to educational staff and resources, Australia is by far the most inequitable in correlation to wealthy comparator countries. There is no agreement between governments to close this resourcing gap and bring every school to 100% of the SRS. Enrolments in public schools are rising. Now is the time to ensure our schools are properly resourced. Full funding is a nation-building investment that will pay off for our kids and our country. That is why we are running the For Every Child campaign. We are calling for the Commonwealth and state and territory governments to sign new bilateral agreements in the next year that will see public schools in every state and territory resourced at a minimum of 100% of the SRS by 2028. We need full funding by 2028. The Albanese government must negotiate new bilateral school funding agreements with each state and territory government in the next 12 months that ensure that all public schools are resourced at a minimum of 100% of the schooling resource standard, SRS, by 2028. A fair share from the federal government. In each bilateral agreement, the Albanese government must commit to the Commonwealth share of the SRS being a minimum of 25% by 2028, with special consideration being made for the Northern Territory's additional needs. This commitment must be legislated. Spending must be on schooling. The new bilateral agreements must not allow states and territories to continue to count within their SRS share any costs that are unrelated to the provision of school education, such as capital depreciation, transport, regulatory authorities and early childhood education. New and updated schools. The Albanese government must create a permanent capital works fund for public schools to provide the states and territories with funding for new and upgraded schools and facilities. The fund should be at least $350 million annually and increase in line with enrolment growth and rising costs. Thank you for that, Andy. Yes, it is interesting just how much stuff happens around education at this time of year. It's almost as though they're trying to do it under the table when no one's watching, but the dogs are watching. So hopefully in the new year, we'll be able to bring you lots more information about what's happening with these NSRAs. But now let's have a break. We'll be right back with more dogs after this. You're listening to 3CR Community Radio, 855am. Visit the 3CR website at 3cr.org.au forward slash podcast to hear the most recent recording from each show or 3cr.org.au forward slash streaming to listen live. Hi, this is Jeff one of the crew from the Council for the Defence of Government Schools. I'd like to wish you all the best Christmas and let's hope for more funding for schools. Let's fund them right to the maximum. Come on, Sandy, you can do it. Merry Christmas. We want to say Merry Christmas and Happy New Year!
From us as the dogs, I'd like to wish everyone who is attending a public school, teaching at a public school, or involved in public schooling in any way, to have a very relaxing and safe summer holiday. You work so hard, and we really appreciate all of the work that you do. And we hope that you can enjoy this time off and just relax and have some time to yourself because you deserve it. Welcome back to the DOGS program, the Defence of Government Schools program. And now we'll go back over to Jeff, who has some information about the ATAR divide. It is that time of year where kids are getting their ATAR scores, which of course are the tertiary entrance scores. So what have you got for us, Jeff? Thanks, Dale. And this one's uh, from the online uh, blog called Eureka Street, um, which is... um and this is an article by Dr. Erica Savini, uh, and it's from the 13th of December 2023. And it's called The Great Divide. ATAR results offer a snapshot of inequality in Australian education. On the day the Victorian Certificate of Education study scores and ATARs were released, the Age newspaper breathlessly announced that they would continually update the top student results. As the day goes on, we will be adding to this list of the schools that the students who achieved ATARs of 99.95 attended. So far, the tally is two, Fintona Girls School and Halleybury with one, MLC Ladies College. Uh, Later in the day, 12 high-fee-paying independent and private schools were listed in one government school, Melbourne High School, a selective entry school. The age also kept a tally of school results based on the percentage of Year 12 students who got or achieved an ATAR of 90 or above. There is a long list again of high-fee-paying private schools. Other news outlets also revealed these results, including the obligatory story and accompanying pictures of high-performing students receiving scholarships from the University of Melbourne. The university's media release shows that of the 41 students who gave permission for their names and schools to be mentioned, four went to Melbourne High School, four to non-selective government high schools, and 33 attended private schools. At the time of writing, Students in other states were still waiting for the release of their ranking. However, a search of articles from previous years shows that high-fee-paying private schools and selective entry government schools dominate in the media reporting of the high ATARs. A recent article in the Sydney Morning Herald reflects this. The story examined what top-year 12 students were doing now after completing their studies 40 years, 30 years, 20 years and 10 years on. Of the 11 people interviewed, six had attended private schools such as Sydney Grammar, Asham and Ravenswood, Two had gone to selective entry government schools and three to other government schools. This snapshot of the coverage of the Year 12 results reveals two important observations. The first is that high-fee paying private schools have the money to employ marketing people who crunch their school's results and send to journalists, journalists who unquestionably lap up the media releases. These private schools must relish the free publicity when they are in competition with other schools for the right students. The second, more insidious observation, shows the socio-economic divide in our education system. By and large, the students attending high-fee-paying schools come from more wealthy suburbs and families. Many of these schools, for example, are in leafy eastern suburbs of Melbourne, such as Kew. This suburb is home to six 
fee-paying private and independent schools. One of the major jobs for education ministers will be to examine how funding can be linked to improving outcomes for students, especially for the most at risk of falling behind. Year 12 fees at MLC, Methodist Ladies College in Kew, for the next year are $38,790, according to the school website. At Cary Grammar, also in Kew, the Year 12 fees for 2024 are 37976 In New South Wales, fees for this year for a Year 12 student at Ravenswood are $37,040 and at Sydney Grammar, $42,189. There are some private schools in the Melbourne's western and northwestern suburbs, but these are mostly low-fee Catholic and Islamic schools. The education divide is further highlighted in a new report. The announcement of ATARs coincided with the release of the 271-page Review to Inform a Better and Fairer Education System, conducted by an expert panel including eminent educator Professor Parsi Salberg. The report was commissioned after the Productivity Commission's review earlier this year of the National School Reform Agreement. The Commission lambasted the NSRA initiatives, saying they have done little so far to improve student outcomes. One of review panel's most significant statements is that almost all public schools are not fully funded to the Schooling Resource Standard, SRS. This is an estimate of how much total public funding a school needs to meet its students' educational needs. On average, almost all private and independent schools get the SRS or an amount above it. The Commonwealth and state governments fund schools. This year, the Commonwealth funded at least 20% of each government school's SRS and 80% of each non-government school's SRS. On top of the base SRS, there are additional loadings for schools that have students with disability, students with socio-economic disadvantage and who have low English proficiency. There is also the Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander loading. The capacity to contribute reduces the SRS base amount for most non-government schools. This is a measure of the ability of parents who have students at students in private, uh, at private and independent schools to contribute financially to the operating costs of the schools relative to the capacity of other non-government schools. The expert panel says it's critical that all schools have access to 100% of schooling resource standard funding as soon as possible to ensure that every student can thrive and transition to further education training and employment post-school. The panel emphasises that all students should have access to a high-quality education irrespective of their circumstances, background or postcode. The panel, while meeting with groups around the country, says they heard many stories of students facing barriers to learning and not being able to realise their full potential. Some of these students included First Nations pupils, those living in regional and remote locations, students with disability and those from educationally disadvantaged backgrounds. However, in the report, the panel conspicuously sidesteps the root causes behind the glaring $6.6 billion annual shortfall in public school financing. The silence speaks volumes. It seems state governments are either scrimping on their contributions or playing a fiscal game of chicken hoping the Feds will up their ante from 20 to 25%. Meanwhile, another 2023 report for the Australian Education Union suggests that private schools receive an excess of $800 million, underscoring that this issue isn't just about redistributing funds, but a deeper systemic imbalance in our approach to education equity. Speaking on the ABC's Radio National about the report, Federal Education Minister Jason Clare admitted there was inequity in the education system. What this report showed us is that we have one of the most segregated school systems in the OECD, not by the colour of your skin, but by the size of your parents' pay packet, he said. 
The report's reform agenda also includes measures to increase the standing of teachers, such as improving their pay. The current National Ref School Reform Agreement has been extended for another year. After that, the next round of federal funding for schools begins in 2025. One of the major jobs for education ministers will be to examine how funding can be linked to improving outcomes for students, especially for those at most at risk of falling behind. Unless ministers can fix our inequitable education system, we will be continually reading the same stories and statistics about study scores and ATARs. Uh, an excellent article by Dr Erica Savini, who's a freelance journalist and, and sessional academic. Uh, with that, I'll pass back to you, Dale. Well, thank you very much for that, Jeff. And now let's pop back over to Andy, who has another press release from the AEU. Over to you, Andy. Thanks, Dale. And this is the Australian Education Union press release from the 9th of December. Albanese government must not shortchange public schools. The Australian Education Union strongly supports a push by state and territory governments to get the Albanese government to substantially increase its investment in public schools, saying the future of children across the nation is at stake. A new report today says the Albanese government is only offering to lift its share of funding for public schools from 20 to 22.5%, while state governments, including Victoria and Queensland, are seeking 25%. AEU Federal President Karina Haythorpe said the need for additional investment was urgent to fund smaller class sizes, additional support for students with complex needs and small group tutoring for those at risk of falling behind. We need a better and fairer education system where every child can get the individual attention and support they need to succeed, Ms Haythorpe said. Right now, the achievement gaps between children of different backgrounds and locations are too great and we have a growing teacher shortage crisis. Fixing this starts with funding. Only 1.3% of public schools are funded to the School Resource Standard, SRS, which is the minimum level governments agreed over a decade ago was required to meet the needs of their students. The Prime Minister promised to work with state and territory governments to deliver full funding for public schools and this must be an urgent priority for National Cabinet. The Commonwealth has underfunded public schools for decades while overfunding private schools. Only 1.6% of the federal budget is spent on public schools. The reported offer from the Albanese government of $2.3 billion for public schools is less than the $3.2 billion it will spend overfunding 40% of private schools, including some of the richest in the nation. The challenges are too great and the costs too high for governments to continue to fail on funding. The Albanese government must contribute a minimum of 25% of the SRS for all states and lift that to 40% for the NT, where student disadvantage is greatest. All public schools must be fully funded by 2028 at the latest. Funding public schools at 100% of the SRS is the only way to ensure every child gets every opportunity to succeed and we have the teachers we need for the future. Ms Haythorpe said during negotiations over new bilateral agreements next year, the Albanese government must stop state and territory governments using accounting tricks to artificially inflate the share of funding they were contributing to schools. These accounting tricks artificially inflate funding for public schools in every state and territory, except the ACT, by 4%, and that creates a $2 billion gap between the, what the governments claim they are spending and what they are actually spending, she said. New bilateral agreements next year must deliver full, not fake, funding for public schools. And back to you, Dale. 
Thank you for that, Andy. And now we'll have a quick break. And when we get back, we'll be going all around the world with Jeff. I'd like to wish you all a very, very Merry Christmas from myself and all the other crew here at the Council for the Defence of Government Schools. And I'd like to give Santa a little wish list that all state schools could be funded to the absolute maximum of the SRS or even better, beyond the SRS. Come on, Santa, you can do it. Merry Christmas. Panoply, panorama, panpipe, pansy, aha, pansexual, knowing no boundaries of sex or gender. Sound interesting? Then join Sally on Sundays at noon for Out of the Pan. All those gender questions making you think too hard? Whether it's transgender, bisexual, polyamorous or beyond, we'll throw those questions into the pan and cook up the answers for you. So go on, push that gender envelope only on 3CR 855am digital and 3cr.org.au. Welcome back to the Defence of Government Schools program here on 3CR Community Radio. And now we're going all around the world with Jeff. Now we're going to nip across the ditch where there's a really interesting, quite long article in the Financial Times. It's by Amy Barrett. And it actually goes around the world a little bit. So bear with me because it does give us a bit of an interesting take on how things have gone for school education around the world. It's called The True Extent of Damage to Schools from COVID-19. The pandemic had a highly disruptive effect on learning around the world, but in many cases also reinforced longer term trends in attainment. If any one country had schools that were designed to cope with the COVID pandemic, it would, it would be Finland, which already had a highly digital education system that made the logistics of distance learning surprisingly easy. Yet even in Finland, the impact has been stark. At Kulosari Secondary School, it took a year and a half for teaching to return to normal after the Finnish government declared a state of emergency in March 2020 in response to the rapid spread of COVID. The school building, located on a small island in suburban Helsinki, was completely shut for only a few months, but local spikes in infections meant hybrid learning continued until late 2021. With groups of students rotating between social distancing in classrooms and, digital, and dialing in remotely, it was really evident that the COVID period was, a, was heavy for students, and I think we are still paying the toll, says Esko Harinyan, a maths and philosophy teacher at the school. More than specific knowledge, they struggled with how to learn, how to behave in a group and with what is expected when they come to school. That trickled down into their learning. This impact of the pandemic was not unique to Hanrunian's students. New data from the OECD's latest program for international student assessment showed an unprecedented global decline in attainment. The PISA rankings, released every three years, are the primary benchmark for comparing education outcomes between countries and have often provided the impetus for reforms. The latest data, delayed by a year, a year by the pandemic, gives an authoritative 
and detailed insight into the level of disruption that education systems have suffered. The principal findings are dramatic. Reading and maths performance declined in the majority of education systems between 2018 and 2022, with developed economies experiencing the most impact. In 2022, the average 15-year-old in the OECD lagged behind their counterparts in 2018 by three-quarters of a year in maths and half a year in reading. In the other 44 education systems that participated in the report, mostly developing economies, the learning loss in both subjects was closer to a third of a year. The release of the latest PISA data comes as many governments around the world conduct a retrospective analysis of COVID to assess how best to respond to a future pandemic. The impact on schools has been an important part of the UK's continuing COVID inquiry. The new data explores not just the impact of the pandemic, but also highlights the longer-term trends in educational outcomes around the world. Andreas Schleicher, Director for Education and Skills at the OECD, warns that COVID was not the only cause of the decline in standards in advanced Western economies. Instead, it reinforced trends that were already evident in many OECD countries. When you look at the recent trends in the contexts of longer-term trends, you get a very different picture he says. Factors such as the overall level of investment in education, the status and pay levels of teachers and the academic expectations of students have all influenced educational outcomes. One striking trend over the past decade has been the consistent deterioration of average reading and science scores in the OECD. Maths attainment stagnated in the years leading up to the pandemic. Meanwhile, some economies outside Europe and Asia, such as Peru and Qatar, have seen marked improvement since 2012. The developed world no longer has a monopoly over good education, says Schleicher. The world is no longer divided between rich and well-educated countries and poor and badly educated countries. Obstacles to education. The coronavirus pandemic had a profound effect on the health and education achievement of children across the world. On the whole, countries that imposed shorter lockdowns were more likely to have a relatively higher attainment, but how schools organised disruption and distance learning was also key. Education systems were more resilient when children had the skills to learn autonomously and felt more supported by their teachers, the PISA analysis found. In Singapore, ranked the top performing education system by PISA, blended learning was permanently introduced into the curriculum following the pandemic. All secondary school students now spend about two days a month undertaking a self-directed study at home, supported by state-funded technology for students. For most students, self-directed study was a larger obstacle than using online learning systems. Nearly half of students surveyed by the OECD said they had problems motivating themselves to work on a weekly basis. General well-being and students' sense of belonging at school also deteriorated more in countries with longer school closures. Harinian said he noticed social media was affecting students' mental health and ability to study even before the pandemic. More time spent away from the classroom only made them more glued to their devices. It's more difficult for them to concentrate on studying for long periods of time because everything is done on a computer and notifications are pinging all the time, he says. That has made it harder for them to catch up on most learning. Use of social media is a problem across the OECD, with one in four students saying they were distracted by other students using digital devices in most maths lessons in 2022. This meant that they were on average three-quarters of a year behind their peers in maths maths attainment after controlling for socioeconomic background. However, the pandemic has also amplified some long-standing criticisms of PISA data. Many advanced economies consistently failed to meet sampling standards, potentially flattering the results as the schools and students 
that respond are not always representative of the wider system. John Jerram, a professor of education and social statistics at the University College London, said this is an even more acute issue in the most recent report given that truancy rates have risen markedly in countries such as the US and the UK following the coronavirus lockdowns. We know that those kids who are absent tend to be more low-achieving or lower socioeconomic status, so it's not necessarily a comparable sample over time or across countries, he says. Other critics argue that PISA ratings give a misleading picture as the difference in performance between some countries is not statistically significant and methodological issues mean the headline scores can be overinterpreted. Despite these shortcomings, the data also illustrates some long-term trends. One is that investing more in education correlates with better performance, but only up to a point. PISA data suggests that the line breaks down beyond $75,000 of total spend per student between the ages of 6 and 15, and that for the average OECD country, which spends more than $100,000 per student, how that money is spent is more important than the raw amount. One significant long-term problem in better-off countries is teacher shortages, which affected almost half the students in the OECD in 2022, double the share in 2018, according to the head teachers. The problem is particularly acute in economies such as Germany, where three-quarters of students were affected by teacher shortages, and France, where there had been a fourfold increase in students affected since 2018. John Bangs, Senior Advisor at the Global Teachers Union Federation Educational International, says poor pay and low status are universal drivers of staff shortages. Countries with, with holistic, holistic teacher policies negotiated with their unions which focus on well-being and professional development. Those are the countries which manage to retain their teachers, he says. The other big factor is that teacher salaries have to be comparatively good with equivalent professions. Countries where teaching is a high-status profession tend to top the rankings. Teachers in Singapore are some of the most likely to feel valued by society, according to the OECD's International Teaching Survey, and the city-state's education system was once again the highest scoring across reading, maths and science. Singapore has been one of the two top education systems for maths since it joined PISA in 2009. Other East Asian economies also ranked highly, having proved resilient to the impact of the pandemic. Despite school closures, Japan and South Korea improved or maintained performance in all subjects between 2018 and 2022. Uh, Schleiser says successful Asian education systems are geared around high expectations and strong social relationships between teachers and students. Teachers spend a lot of time with their students. They run social clubs. They clean the classroom with them after lessons, he says. But I observe a trend in the wealthy countries towards commodifying education. Students became consumers and teachers became service providers. Even in the leading East Asian education systems where overall performance improved, achieving equity for students from, from different socioeconomic backgrounds remained a challenge. In Singapore, and on average across the OECD, the attainment gap between poorer and better off students widened between 2018 and 2022 to the highest levels in a decade. Seven education systems became more equitable but only in Argentina, the Philippines and Saudi Arabia was that because outcomes improved for disadvantaged students. In most countries, equity in maths remained stable, but performance declined for students of all socioeconomic backgrounds. Some of the largest declines in both equity and overall attainment occurred in Finland, once regarded as one of the most successful European education systems. 
Learning loss since 2018 was almost three times the OECD average in reading and four times higher in science. But educational outcomes in the Nordic country were deteriorating even before the pandemic. Schleiser says this is because Finland relaxed its academic expectations for students. The lesson for me is that we have to achieve student well-being not at the expense of academic success, but through academic success, he says. There have been significant changes to the Finnish education system in recent years, with traditional subjects scrapped in favour of an approach called phenomenon-based learning that requires students to draw on multiple subjects to solve problems. It, also, it is also unusual in having no standardised national tests, aside from the, the matriculation exam at the end of the secondary school for students applying to a university. For many policymakers, Estonia is the new model in Europe. The small Baltic country is one of the few education systems outside East Asia that consistently ranks in the top 10 of the PISA rankings. Estonia's education minister, Christina Kallas, says its community-based system that hands schools considerable autonomy over resources and curriculum is hard to replicate in other European countries, but there are successful practices in Estonia that can be replicated elsewhere. The common aspects of successful systems are teacher competence and autonomy and the student mindset to aim high and work hard, she says. Although children start school aged seven, later than in most other developed economies, most benefit from Estonia's high-quality preschool system where teachers are required to have a bachelor's degree. Almost 90% of children are enrolled in preschool for at least three years compared with the OECD average of 57%. Children have very affordable and accessible preschool. It is still mostly play and developing social skills, but it is a pedagogical approach that we have high-quality requirements, says Callis. The Estonian education system still faces many of the challenges apparent in other developed economies, with significant learning loss during the pandemic and a growing shortage of teachers. To address this, the government has introduced more support for students who have fallen behind, such as an optional extra year of teaching. Callis says a demographic shift has caused labour shortages across the economy, so teaching needs to offer an attractive career path to compete with other sectors for graduates. What young people want is a motivational job where they can develop themselves, she says. We are trying to make the teaching profession a very autonomous career with professional development. The government is also committed to raising teacher pay to 120% of the average wage by 2027. Although the PISA rankings are often used to gauge the relative effectiveness of education systems, experts warn against using the headline numbers as a basis for significant policy changes. Sam Friedman, a senior fellow at the Institute for Government Think Tank in the UK, says that what is really useful data is data on how systems work rather than the ranking. Friedman was a policy advisor at the Department for Education when the Education Secretary, Michael Gove, overhauled the curriculum and structure of the school system in England to address the country's middling performance in the PISA rankings. Friedman now says this was a naive approach. There was an overestimate of how much doing specific policies would shift the UK towards another country, he says. But addressing the structural and pandemic-related challenges is important for developed economies as improving education performance leads to better labour market outcomes. Countries with better PISA performance tended to have a lower share 
of 15 to 19 year olds not in education, unemployment or training, according to the OECD research. Slicer says it is difficult for economies to overcome the negative economic impact of poor schooling. If you haven't got decent outcomes early on, you are unlikely to benefit from continued education and training, and you're unlikely to catch up, he says. I'm more worried about countries in the OECD area than many countries outside in terms of stagnation or decline in outcomes. I think that's just a really remarkably good look at education across the OECD and some of the struggles and challenges created by the pandemic and also by things like devices taking up too much of our time of our students and not enough valuing of, of teachers. I think it's a remarkable article. Again, it's in the Financial Times and it's by Amy Barrett from the 5th of December 2023. And with that, I'll pass it back. Thanks for that, Jeff. Yes, there's certainly been a lot of side effects coming from the COVID pandemic. But uh, we're coming to the end of the program. We don't have a great state school for you this week, but what we do have is a bit of discussion that's been happening in the mainstream. I've just got a little tiny bit of audio for you, some one from SBS and one from, strangely enough, Sky News. <laughs> it's come to the public mainstream's attention that um, public schools are doing better than their private counterparts, even though we are far, far under-resourced. And uh, strangely enough, uh, the mainstream media has picked up on this. So first we're going to hear what sounds to me quite a combative exchange between a Sky News presenter and Education Minister Jason Clare. Obviously, the presenter's trying to start a fight, but uh, Jason Clare's being uh, very diplomatic in his answers. But uh, it's also important to note that this is a discussion about public schools succeeding in NAPLAN, and it's happening on an extremely conservative media wavelength. So let's have a listen. State education ministers are refusing to set national targets to address the low rates of literacy and numeracy in Australia. The Federal Education Minister, Jason Clare, will be forced to negotiate bilateral agreements with each state and territory to push through his reforms. He did attempt to guarantee free catch-up tutoring in school and community health integration, as well as about $7 billion a year in extra taxpayer funding. And he joins me now, does the Education Minister, Jason Clare. Minister, it is good to see you. So when you have, when you have a vision for something that isn't shared by state education ministers, do you feel like banging your head against a wall? Mate, I think it is shared. Yesterday wasn't about signing up to reforms or targets. Yesterday was about releasing that independent report that sets out the sort of things that we need to incorporate into a new national school reform agreement next year. This is a two-stage process. One, conduct an independent assessment of the sort of big reforms we need to implement in our schools. And then step two is next year doing a deal with the states and the territories to make sure that we fix the funding of our public schools and tie that funding to the sort of things that we know work that are going to help children in our schools who fall behind to catch up and to keep up and to finish high school. Right. I, I, I do want to ask you about funding, but, I mean, they don't want to set national targets for literacy and numeracy. They aren't on board with catch-up tutoring, which you and I have spoken about before. I mean, are you at least disappointed about that? No, no, no. I, I, I don't think that's, that's, that's right. Uh, I think that ministers do get that catch-up tutoring is the sort of thing that we need. It, you know, 
We know it works. We see it in New South Wales and Victoria happening right now. It's one of the good things that came out of the pandemic, the idea of helping children who fall behind to get out of a classroom of 30, put them in a classroom with three or four, and children can learn as much in six months as they would ordinarily learn in 12 months. But the point I want to make is yesterday was about releasing the report with these recommendations. Next year is about a national agreement and bilateral agreements. We need to do both a national agreement for the next decade to put in place the funding and the reforms needed, okay. but also individual agreements with each state and territory that will also include individual targets and funding on the key reforms that are needed in each state and territory. OK, that funding gap, though, it's a whopper. Uh, $6.6 .6 billion or thereabouts. So where's that fix coming from? Well, almost no public school in the country is fully funded at the moment. Non-government schools are. They're either funded at that Gonski level or above it or on track to get there. Uh, but no public school is. Uh, they top mm. out at about 95% of what David Gonski said they should be. That's not fair. That needs to be fixed. Uh, we said before the election and since the election that we'll work with the states and territories to fix that funding gap. But I've also said there are no blank checks here. We need to make sure that we tie that funding to the sort of things that we know work, like catch-up tutoring, that we know will help children who fall behind to catch up and to finish school. And the negotiations that kick off next year are all about the funding that the Commonwealth and the states and territories put in to help to make sure that we fix that funding gap. OK. So uh, is it an option? Because, I mean, the difference between private and public schools is so vast. Is, would it ever be a consideration to cut funding from private schools and send it over to public schools? Well, we, one of the things Malcolm Turnbull did was put funding for private schools on a trajectory down to that 100% of the Gonski level. And that hits in 2029. The real problem is that public schools aren't on a trajectory to get to 100% by 2029 or ever. They top out at 95% at the end of the decade. And in the case of the Northern Territory, never. Yeah. Now, we've got to fix that. You can't have two different school systems that aren't fairly funded. So I want to fix that. But as I said, there can't be blank checks here. There are, we've got a good education system, but it can be a lot better and a lot fairer if you're a child from a poor family, if you, you grew up in a neighbourhood like I did when I was a little kid, go to a public school like I did in the western suburbs of Sydney, like Cabramatta, you are three times more likely to fall behind at school and only one in five of those kids at the moment is catching up by the time they're in high school. The result of all of that is that we're now seeing over the last, <clears throat> over the last six years a drop in the number of people finishing high school, particularly in public schools and particularly in families from poor backgrounds. And this is happening, Pete, at a time where we need more people to finish school and then go on to TAFE and university because most of the jobs being created now require you to go to TAFE or uni. Sure. So unless we implement the sort of reforms that are going to help children who fall behind to catch up and finish school, then we will be doing a disservice not just to them but to the whole country. And that's what the agreement we develop and strike next year has okay. to be all about. Just a final one here, Minister. Uh, looking like you've got another $10 billion to bank or even redistribute, according to my EFO. Is it the right call to bank it, though, when people need cost of living help? Oh, I won't, I won't preempt what Jim announces tomorrow, but we know that Australians are doing it tough. Uh, what the numbers also show is that inflation's now coming down, that wages are going up. That's a good thing. Unemployment is also very low. That's a good thing as well. Uh, what we need to do, what we are doing, is making sure that we manage taxpayers' money responsibly. You see that in the budget surplus that we've delivered. 
and you'll see that in the numbers tomorrow. Okay, Jason Clare, the Education Minister. Interesting discussion there. That was an excerpt from a Sky News program. So it is great that people are actually starting to talk about this in the mainstream. There were many, many more little chunks of audio I could have played for you, but you get the picture. The point is people are starting to talk about this, which hopefully means that people will start to mobilise and protect and defend and promote public education. That's the end of our program for this week. We'll be back next week. Everyone here at the Dogs would like to wish everyone a happy holiday or happy summer season. I know it's not holidays for everyone and not everyone celebrates Christmas. So I would just like to say I hope you have a very safe summer season. It's going to be hot. We'll continue to be here fighting for public education on 3CR Community Radio. You can find out more about the dogs by going to our website at www.adogs.info. But it's bye for now. I dreamed I saw Joe last night Alive as you and me Says I, but Joe, you're ten years dead I never died, says he I never died, says he In Salt Lake City, Joe, says I Him standing by my bed they framed you on a murder charge, says Joe, but I'm dead, says Joe, but I'm dead. The copper bosses killed you, Joe, they shot you, Joe, says I, takes more than guns to kill a man. Says Joe, I didn't die. Says Joe, I didn't die. And standing there as big as life, and smiling with his eyes, says Joe, what they can never kill went on to organize. Went on to organize From San Diego up to Maine In every mine and mill Where workers strike and organize It's there you find your hill It's there you find
You've been listening to a 3CR podcast produced in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au.